I'm Steve Backshaw, and you're listening to the Aussie Wildlife Show. All right, guys, welcome to the Aussie Wildlife Show. Adrian here, and I'm here, of course, with Steve. Hey, guys. And we're really lucky today to have with us Dan Mangano. Dan Mangano is a zoologist, wildlife demonstrator, and plays drums in a wicked band called Ablaze. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for having me, guys. Now, you're from Victoria, mate. Um, Yep. You we're in Adelaide at the moment. You, you guys had a gig last night here in the city. Yeah, we played at Enigma Bar as part of our... Uh, we're on our album tour at the moment. Released an album halfway through October, or early October, and are basically going to tour it right through till... Well, I think our last shows are in Sydney the weekend before Christmas. So just pretty much every weekend going out and doing that. Haven't been. We played in Adelaide, I think it was early to mid-2016. It was the last time. We just haven't been able to line it up since with venues not being free or not booking certain periods yet and then losing our, our chances at it. So, um, no, it's been good to be back and had a lot of fun last night with the bands we played with and we'll definitely be back for the next tour. Just got to actually knuckle down and start booking it. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Man, I, lo- I love the music you play. And would I be right in saying, like, I, it's, it's almost like kind of the old school, you know, metal, rock. It's, it, it's, it's something I don't hear much these days and it's very refreshing and I love it. Yeah, yeah. No, so we're, we're all... All five of the guys in the band are from very different musical backgrounds, um, but our common ground is that kind of ACDC, Aussie rock, you know, that kind of even through the 80s kind of stuff. But um, And so that's what we write, and we can write in a whole bunch of different ways and kind of try different styles a little bit, and it always kind of sounds like us, which I'm really uh, proud of because it's, it's not easy to do. Um, and so, yeah, but I guess to, to give an example of kind of how we sound, it's We've we've played with people like Jimmy Barnes and Diesel and the Screaming Jets and I think we Marky Ramone we opened for him and and that, those kind of musos that that style especially the Screaming Jets like we really fit that kind of music and no there's it's still around um, there's a few bands in in Adelaide um, that have a similar sound um, bands like Surviving Sharks and Image and Brave and um, there was one called Laced in Lust but they broke up they were very hair big hair yeah. leather and uh, yeah the glam. They, all big time glam but they were, but then sounded quite punky as well, so it was pretty cool. Um, but no, the sound's still around. It's just uh, nowadays uh, the not really commercial support as much anymore. And so if you want to hear bands that are going to play music, that you will, if it's a story, if you like ACDC and Rose Tattoo and Guns N' Roses and that kind of stuff, there are bands making new music in that style, but unfortunately you've got to go looking for it. Yeah, And that's okay. where the problem is now, is that people don't necessarily want to go out to a bar and listen to a band they've never heard. They want to go to a bar and listen to a cover band that's going to play the songs that they like. And there are some people that, like with with other sides of the music scene, like with metal, for example, like the real heavy stuff, it's always been underground. So people know they've got to go and listen to stuff. Whereas our style was very much commercial through the you know late 70s, 80s, and even into the early 90s, and now it's not. And so there's people that are more than happy to still be listening to a CD from the early 1980s and be listening to the same 10 songs instead of going and looking at something new because they just can't be staffed or because they think, oh, it'll be on whatever the local rock station is. Oh, that, but that's, that's, they'll play it if it's the right style and they don't always. There can be reasons, you know, there's legal reasons, there's government reasons sometimes why, I, know, I don't know if it's Australia-wide, but in Victoria, they're, you know, they're only allowed to play 25% Australian content because it's part of some trade deal with the states, which is why all the music on the radio is American. Hmm. So other countries, they have to play a minimum of 60%. And so people hear their local bands. And so in places like Europe, Australian bands go over there and tour all the time. I've got mates in bands that go and tour with 
Skid Row and Ugly Kid Joe and they've played with Richie Blackmore's Rainbow and Living Colour and really big bands. They come here and no one's got any idea who they are. <laughs> wow, that's sad. And it's funny, you, your band does sound commercial to me and that's, that style's not played on the radio these days. You, it's an interesting point. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not the same. And, and, I, and I don't mean commercial as an insult. No, 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 not at yeah, all. No, yeah. no, it's, no, you're right. It, it's got... It's it's that classic rock kind of sound, that Aussie rock, party rock, whatever yeah, you want to call upbeat, it. Very, yeah, you know. But um, yeah, no, you don't have the commercial support for it anymore because you know stations would rather play ACDC and Rosetta Two and Jimmy Barnes and stuff. They want to play the big songs that people want to hear. Um, and then by the time they get to the end of that, they're either not interested in the local stuff or they might not be able to fit in more Aussie content because they've got to fit in all the other stuff. Run out of their quotas. Yeah, mm. basically. Well, good on you, mate, for soldering through. A, a, a blaze, you've got a YouTube channel, I've seen it. Wicked sound, wicked quality, great production, and all original. Yeah. Which I love. We I throw love. in covers and stuff for a bit of fun. Like I think last night we played um, Mr. Brownstone by Guns N' Roses, and oh, yeah. that always gets people going. We've been covering Better by the Screaming Jets since we started. Uh, we, did a <laughs> we did a gig, a private gig, uh, for a, I won't say who, but it was a bikey club <laughs> um, last weekend where we did two sets of covers and it was all just Rose Tattoo, Van Halen, ACDC, all that kind of stuff and that all still fits in with us but yeah, we still throw it. The covers get people interested. Well, it's what a lot of people have to do to get work. Yeah, big time. We had original bands and we didn't get any gigs with our original bands unless we were willing to play in friend, at friends' parties but yeah, cover bands, that's, that's where it was. No, that's tricky. I used to play drums. Yep. It was never as good as you and I practiced all the time <laughs> and I realised it's not for me. I just played a triangle. <laughs> <laughs> I played no instruments. I'm <laughs> out of touch with this podcast a bit because you're both in bands and you're both... I'm not anymore. And you're both demonstrators. 20 years ago. Yeah. So, but you have a beautiful guitar at your club. I've seen it. I, lovely, it is a lovely it's, guitar. Yeah, it's yeah. perfect. It's and a, I'm about immaculate. to get a, a drum box as well. Yeah, there you go. Cajun drum. Oh, yeah, the Cajon, Cajon thing. Yeah, drum, yeah, yeah, cool. I was going to get one of those for our acoustic gigs, and it was going to cost me six, 700 bucks for a box. So I just went, you know what? And I bought an acoustic guitar. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just play some guitar as well. I can't yeah. be bothered paying that much for a wooden box. Yeah, no, I've got all that. So yeah, how much no, does that cost? Yeah, some of them are really expensive. If you were going to play in a band with it, you'd yeah, yeah. be spending that money. Because we do acoustic hundred, gigs. But yeah. Okay, that's interesting. It's tricky, yeah. <laughs> so, mate, you're a performer? Yep. And being a wildlife demonstrator, you get up in front of schools, classrooms, groups of people, again, performing. Yeah, pretty much. A bit of crossover there. Definitely. Yeah. A lot of crossover. Because yeah. I mean, every group of people is different, you know? Very much. Every group, every member of the public that comes and talks, you do something at a kinder or in an old folks' home or even different high schools, you're going to be looking at different crowds or different suburbs at the same shopping centre. <laughs> like yeah, that's just, right. yeah, Very different demographics. You're going to have different people and you've got to adapt your show and you've got to be able to read the crowd and... Yeah, that's that's the band as well. There's a lot of crossover. Yeah, yeah. So it's good. To, the more you travel around, the more diverse you become and better performers. If you just stay in the one area, you learn what that particular sect of people like. Yeah, you're not branching out. Um, so how does wildlife fit into all this for you, mate? How do you find the time to do both? Oh, I don't sleep a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't sleep a lot at all. Um, yeah, well, no. My my full time job is Monday to Friday. I go out and do demonstrator stuff for uh, a company in Melbourne called Reptile Encounters and um, yeah we do very similar to Animals Anonymous we do the kinders and all the, the shows for the schools and anybody that wants animals we, we find a way to provide them displays and stuff like that and um, yeah I, I basically fit in band stuff around it 
band practice might be on a, a night on a weekend or I've got to do an interview of an evening or if I've got a gap in the middle of the day or something like that and I've got to send a few emails or whatever it happens to be, just you get good at time management because <laughs> if you don't, you probably end up in a psychologist's office, I'd imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have much, yeah. yeah. There'll be a snap at some point. <laughs> And also, I mean, you keep animals too, and that's um, they're unforgiving. You've got to feed them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. If you don't feed them, they die. But um, admittedly, since the band stuff really kicked into gear, like we recorded the album earlier this year, um, and it was, you know, 30-odd days of tracking. Um, not in a row, but a lot of it was in one big group. And the stress of that, we re- where we recorded was an hour from where I am, it was about 25 minutes north of Melbourne Airport, a place called Riddles Creek. And, yeah, doing that Monday to Friday, you get home, especially the parts where I was drumming, which was like a five-day stint of drumming all day um, to record, you know, 11 songs worth of drums and then going back to do acoustic and sing on another song, you're dead. You're just physically, emotionally, <laughs> spiritually exhausted. And when you get home and you're like, I'm not picking up the snake poo today. <laughs> right, and... um yeah, no, it, it wore me down. I used to keep a lot of – I've always been interested in the weird stuff that not everybody wants to keep. So while a lot of my mates were delving into having, you know, several hundred pythons or whatever it happened to be, I had little skinks and little dragons and, you know, weirder pythons or whatever it happened to be. And the problem with a lot of those, like the the little skinks, for example, the little delicate skinks and Bollinger skinks and stuff like that, which are around in the hobby – quite commonly now it's just not everybody recognizes them as anything other than food for slightly bigger animals um is that yeah you can't go a week without feeding them like they're not like blueies where you're going nah it's looking like it's going to get cold this arvo i better not feed them you got to go out and give them a couple of crickets and you got to even during winter when you want to cool them down you've got to wake them up once a week and let them have a bask and maybe throw them a bug because they just can't do those big stints whereas the blue tongues and the shinglebacks and the pythons and the tree skinks and the stuff that I keep now is a lot more forgiving. If I go away, like this weekend, if I nick off on, you know, I spend all day driving on on a Friday, which is what I've done, but we left it. I would have left my house at 10 to 6 to go down, meet up with everybody, load the van and go. Um, and I'd gotten home really late on the Thursday night because I'd had something else on. I'd worked all day Thursday. The blueies and stuff like that, yep, they got water. They're all good. When I get back... Saturday night, I'll check them. They'll all be asleep. And that's cool. I'm lucky. I keep a lot of my blueies and stuff outside. So they're a little bit self-sustaining. I've got plants and stuff growing in the enclosures. So they'll they'll nick a few leaves off the lily pillies or whatever it happens to be. Or they'll grab... I've always got earwigs and stuff, roaches running around and they grab them. Mm. Um, so they're a little bit self-sustaining. And um, But, you know, I can't go away for a four or five day stint when you've got a bunch of things like you know, three-inch-long skinks or bloody tawny dragons or something like that, which, you know, you've got to be there to spray them with water because they won't drink it out of the bowl and <laughs> stuff like that and stuff that I love them. Gorgeous animals, and I'd have a billion of them if I could. Right now, I can't do that. Too high a maintenance. So, too high. I need animals that are a little more forgiving because, yeah, I've got stuff like I've got a princess parrot and I've got the brush tail betongs and I've had sugar gliders and stuff in the past. That's fine. I can get my family to go and put a bowl of fruit. My family members, as much as they understand what I do and they like some of the animals and they don't like some of the animals, they're not going to go in and pick up a cricket with their bare hands and throw it in with my um, funnel webs. <laughs> they're not going to do that. Do I don't what? think I they animals. know I've got them. I love animals. 
and insects. I love them all, but I'm not going to go and put crickets in with your funnel webs, neither. Yeah, I had a moment with them when I got, because I've got, no, I've got, um, I think they're called Darling Downs funnel webs or something like that. They're not the big Sydney Oh, ones that scare, ones. yeah, not the real ones. I had, I had a real one. I had a big female um, Atrax robustus, and when I, got, I was doing all the research on them and stuff like that, and I've got, I had this old flower tub basically from the from the supermarket, and just filled it with the peat and put a bit of gravel on the bottom, so because you got to keep them cold and you got to keep them wet. And I, I got to work the next day, and I said to my boss, I was like, oh, I just picked up a Sydney funnel web. And he's like, really? Oh, you should bring it in. Do you reckon we'd be able to, you know, bring them around and put them in a little container for the kids? I said, well, I said, you can, but you're getting them. They're really fast and they're really jumping. You're getting them into the containers that I got for them was one of the scariest things I've ever done. <laughs> and I said, you understand they've got fangs long enough to bite through your fingernail. And I've, he's gone, right. He goes, can they get through the plastic of the enclosure you put them in? And I went, oh, no. <laughs> There's a problem. Prob- probably. <laughs> yeah. And so I was very much holding it with the tips of my fingers after that. But, um, yeah, no, my, my, when it comes to the bugs and no one's throwing out rats for the pythons, <laughs> right? So luckily they don't have to because the pythons can go for quite a while. But, yeah, the little touchy stuff. Like if I had some of the things that I want, like I want to pick up things like keelbacks and some of the other little weird little snakes or legless, Burton's legless lizards and stuff where you've got to put some effort into feeding them, mm. I can't ask that. Of, of the folks and stuff like that or you know if, when I've had partners in the past and stuff like that they, they, they love to go up and pat the betongs but they're not going to go and shove a rat tail down a Burton's legless lizard no. <laughs> Do you get much chance to go out and see the wild animals go herping and things like that? Um, this year I haven't which I hate because I, I crave it um, I do love getting out of th- what I do like is that if I am working doing them because we go all over Victoria and if I've got to drive right out west for a couple of shows or something in the Arvo on my way back might stop for a bit of a walk around a national park one because it stops me from driving six and a half odd hours (laughs) without a decent little break and a walk but also yeah I get to get out and see things and at the right time is that the problem this year has been that it hasn't warmed up properly yet Mm. So places where I know that I could drive, and I, I drove right up to the Murray River and across, um, basically all the way across. I drove straight up north of Shepparton to the Murray to a place called um, Strathmerton and then right across to Chilton, which is about 20 minutes south of Wodonga, and then came back down. So it was about 600k of driving that day. And the way that I'd gone up, the second that I was north of Shep and I'm looking at the land and I'm looking at the kind of habitat that's there, I'm like, there should be shinglebacks and eastern beardies all over the road. like, And I've had periods where I've had to get out and get stuff off the road. I love it. But, um, yeah, just because the weather hasn't been suitable yet, I haven't actually gotten the chance to see them yet because they haven't really come out that much. We had a day last week where out of nowhere there was a day that hit 32, which would have been great. And I know my phone was going off from all the, you know, I'm in a group chat on Facebook with a whole bunch of snake catchers and they're all going, can someone get to this one? Can someone get to that one? And I, I'm not, I've got training as a snake catcher, but I haven't got the permits and stuff. Mm. So stuff was active that day, but I was locked up in a school doing four shows in the middle of the city somewhere. So I wasn't going to see much. But um, when I do get the chance, I'm off. I've got a Commodore that I will take off-road, <laughs> taking it down four-wheel driving tracks until I've had, I had a moment once where I had to do a about a 15-point turn in uh, Barmer State Forest, which is just just north 
feast of Echuca. Um, went in there looking because there's there's Victorian carpet pythons in there, and well, they've been reported in there. And so I thought, oh, I wonder if I can, which you're not going to see, they're endangered. <laughs> um, went looking and um, came around a corner on a track that was a bit dirty and a few little bits, and I was like, reckon the Commodore's not going to take this for much longer. And all of a sudden, was surrounded on three sides by water. Oh. And I went, uh oh. And I, I had about a foot on either side of the car. It came out of absolutely nowhere. Came around a bend, water and slammed the brakes and then had to do this nice little delicate turn. <laughs> Took me about 15 minutes to turn the car around fully because I kept getting out and checking it because if it goes into the water, that was it. I was about probably two, three kilometres down the tracks into this park, middle of nowhere, and I really didn't want to have to call this emergency and go, hey, I'm a dickhead. <laughs> um, and finally got out of there and had my little heart attack <laughs> moment where everything just drops and I get cold and I'm like, you have seriously stuffed up this time. Yeah, and all like the phone there going, in a Commodore, you say. Yeah. <laughs> you, took a, you took a Commodore down a four-wheel driving track. Yes. How long did you know it was a four-wheel driving track? Was, oh, probably the last 800 metres. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, and all I got out of it was a couple of little skinks and a brown snake. Worth it. Yep. Oh, yeah. The skinks were. The brown scared the bejesus out of me because I saw the skink run under the, the tin and I lifted it and the skink was gone. I put it back down. I saw some movement, lifted the tin again, probably a two-foot eastern brown. Just appeared out of nowhere. Jumped, lifted it again, snake's gone too. No idea what kind of magic no, that was, <laughs> was invoked. magic. Yeah, just absolutely bad. Scared the <laughs> hell out of me. But... um. I, yeah, I, I just touched, you, you mentioned that you do a bit of incidental herping. You'll get out when you're traveling. You'll get out of the car and go in the bush. And I've got to say, a lot of people don't. In fact, most mm. people, they go from survey to survey. They stop if they need to. And you pass through all these different habitats. And I urge people, like, it's worth a look. Get out and have a look at a different environment. If you're driving from, say, Adelaide to Melbourne, get out at, like, around the, um, that Narcad area there. You've got all the little deserts and the sandy country. Yeah, It's yeah. extremely different. This country is so different from top to bottom, from left to right, even, you know, within, um, you know, 100 acres to 100 acres. It's such a diverse country. Get out and just spend a little bit of time there. See what you see. Yeah, day yeah. or night. Yeah, yeah, day or night. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it. Even the area that I'm in. So I'm, I'm based in the, the northeast of Melbourne, um, and where I sit is basically where the kind of – volcanic or basalt plains of northern and western uh, Melbourne meets the temperate stuff uh, in the Plenty Gorge National Park. And so the hills behind my house, um, you there's there's granite exfoliations and there's little whip snakes and there's, um, you know, eastern striped skinks or robustus, whatever the common name is, and yeah. by the billion. And there's a couple of copperheads and there's some browns and there's eastern blueies. And then you go down that hill, you walk 100 metres in a straight line and you end up in a in a ditch and in a gully, and all of a sudden there's swamp wallabies and there's uh, three line skinks and some of the more wet area stuff. And then you jump over the main road into the Gorge National Park, and there's open fields. A lot of it used to be farmland. Open fields, big piles of rocks, Cunningham's everywhere. Tigers hit the water. There's turtles. There's lots of frogs. And then you go over the hill into the rocky areas, and there's small light snakes and there's blotch blueies and, and all this stuff. So in a, in a straight line of about two kilometres, you've crossed about three different habitat types and all the species that live there and all the species that used to live there. Laces used to come almost down to where I am. and But, you know, down into Yanyin, they were known to be around. Now they're only really out on the fringes of the eastern side of Melbourne. You don't get those big laces there anymore. And, and then again, the grasslands, all those volcanic grasslands are just not 
proper volcanic grasslands anymore. And a lot of those grassland species, like the striped legless lizards and even stuff like the fat-tailed dunnarts, are, you know, the, the striped legless lizards are endangered. The dunnarts in a lot of parts are just not present where they used to be. And then some species, like the little, was it the grassland dealers dragons, which are just oh, completely yeah. extinct in Victoria now. I think the Arthur Ryler Institute went out to the last spot up in North Vic where they'd been sighted and didn't see any, didn't detect any at all. So now they're at Cooma and Monaro, whatever it is up near Canberra. There was a, I think it was um, Nick Clement from the Arthur Ryler, but he did a talk at a reptile and amphibian symposium down in Melbourne that I, that I sat in the crowd for and had a look. And he said there was records of when settlers first got to, to Melbourne exploring and saying there's these little spiky lizards on every rock. Well, those are very, very, very common reptile. Gone. Gone. Mm. And a lot of the people in Melbourne don't know the little spiky lizards that are there now. They don't know the Jackie dragons and they don't know that kind of stuff. They can tell me about lions and tigers and bears and king cobras and stuff like that. But I start talking about animals that live within 20 foot of their front door and they've got no idea what they are. And so that's one of the things I love about doing the demonstrating stuff is I can go out with a Cunningham skink and they go, what's this thing? Is that a blue tongue? No, it's not a blue tongue. Oh, where do they live? Around here. <laughs> this is a lizard that gets a foot long near Melbourne and live in family groups and live in the, the fields that you drive past on the Western Highway when you're going into work. And they've got no idea. It's, it's such a powerful thing. And I know a lot of animal carers hate the fact that we use animals to take them to schools and we get paid money to do it. And, but when you've done it and you see... The, the look on people's faces and like you explained it very well like people are like what that lives here wow what can I do to help you know it, it, it makes a massive difference yep if they don't know what, that it's there they're not going to care about it they can't if they don't care it. about it yeah. what hopes it got 100% I mean there's enough issues in Melbourne with the, with the common species <laughs> I mean this is a really really close to my place right now this is a thing I've, I'll, I'll try not to quote the exact numbers because I can't quite remember them but there's an area through that gorge where they're doubling the road. So just north of there, there's been lots of housing estates over the last few years and there's a big increase. It was the biggest growth corridor in the country at one point. And they're finally doubling the road. And they did a fauna survey. It got delayed eight months. And when they went out and did it, they ended up covering it up and, and demolishing all the trees and stuff anyway. Turns out what had happened was is they'd set up their cameras over a 16-day period or something like that, again, the numbers are a bit shaky, there was 160-something-odd sightings of sugar gliders. Every single camera picked them up. Wow. Now, my rhythm guitarist lives in that part of Plenty Gorge. I've been in his front yard and I've heard the sugar gliders barking at each other. Hmm. Yeah, the ringtails and the brush tails that run past you, but I've been out there and hearing yip, 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 yip. And he goes, oh, it's a possum. I said, no, 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 that's a glider, dude. And he's like, oh, really? Are they here? I'm like, dude, they're everywhere <laughs> They're not uncommon. But what had happened was, is the suggestion had been is next to this doubling of the road, they were going to put in retaining walls, just a big sound barrier kind of thing. And they no, 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 it'll look a lot prettier if we do nice sloping banks. And they cut down bloody 10 times the amount of trees they had to. The amount of space that they Yeah. Needed. Now, sugar gliders are not uncommon. Like, I, I, I understand. I'm not, I'm not a, I understand they've got to build. I understand that they are everywhere. Like, there's a balance. What really annoyed me was finding out that the reason why it had been delayed eight months in the first place is because it put the survey to go down in a time frame where they were the least likely to detect brush-tailed fascagales, oh. which are not common. 
in they're, my area at least, let alone anywhere. They're here where we yeah. are now. So they are there. I've, I've, I've had people say to me, I saw this squirrel thing running down the, the power lines. And I'm like, what, like a glider? And they're like, no, 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 it didn't look like a possum. It was pointy as, like a rat with a with a bottle brush stuck in its butt. I'm like, ah, <laughs> that's called a fascigal. Yeah. You should probably report that you saw it. <laughs> right? Because there's not that many. But again, they're a Dazaira. The lifespan's a bit iffy <laughs> so yeah. they put it at a period of the year where there's not that many of them around and the ones that are are not going to be detected by the cameras and stuff and so they didn't have to care and now that and thinking about that area if it can support that kind of number of gliders and and all the possums and i've, I've had to slam the brakes because a glider has glided across my windscreen oh, wow. there are swampies there's wombats there's kangaroos by the million there's echidnas there's blueies there's heaps of snakes there's a lot of i've had to i've had barn owls swoop down and take mice off the road in front of my car in this little stretch it's really really green sounds like it's got some solid tree highlights oh yeah yeah a lot of um yeah very similar to where we're sitting here it looks a lot like this it's just yeah the, the trees aren't always very big there's a few real honkers you know within eye shot at any point but a lot of them are just the smaller thinner ones nice understory as well. You get a lot of the, the plants that the gliders are going to come down and eat as well. And yeah, they've just gotten rid of that. A lot of it's been pushed out. It's so sad, isn't it? It's mm. the same old story. What does that come yeah. down to? Population. <laughs> Population. <laughs> it's too many of us. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. It, it, at some point, we've just got to stop clearing forest. We've just got to stop clearing old growth um, habitat and, and you you say it it doesn't mean anything as you sit there and say it but when you're sitting on your own at home sitting there thinking about it and you go what the fuck are we doing mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah there was a big kick around um, I don't know if it made the news here but it was all over it in Victoria for a while it was a wood mill I can't remember what it was called now but they wanted to close it you know, the, the forestry industry itself was struggling and this wood mill they were just like we're getting rid of it they wanted to go and and start cutting down this whole area of forest so that they could start kicking this mill off and making a bit of cash again because they couldn't just live off the government handouts that was keeping it going in the first place. They went into that forest area. What did they detect? Leadbeater's possum. Like one of the last little populations of Victoria's state mammal emblem. It's like <laughs> your most endangered mammal too. It's up there, yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, they they went in there and they said, well, you can't cut it down. There's leadbeaters there. And... Um, the all of a sudden it's all over the radio. They're protesting and, and you know some one of the oh, cause I was getting I was ringing up Triple M because the ones playing it going, are you why are you guys playing this? I think oh no what we're going to cut down we're not we're not going to cut down these trees for a possum really like people's jobs and people's livelihoods depending on it. And yeah. I'm like well yeah but here's the thing the government said to you we're going to change this wood mill into a different type of factory and retrain you all to work there and. They, no, we don't want that. We want to keep logging. I was like, well, no. <laughs> and there was another ad where they're like, oh, what are we going to do? Make the houses out of metal. That's not very environmentally friendly. Neither is cutting down a massive chunk of forest and sending a, a population of a very endangered species out the door. And you kind of go, and, and that was all over the news. And in the end, they couldn't do it. Um, and they cracked it and they shut the mill down. And everybody got up about it. I was like, well, no, no, that's actually the government making a good environmental decision. They don't do that very often. In, yeah. in eastern Victoria, where they're having the problems at the moment with the greater gliders. And, um, you know, they're saying, oh, if they detect any more than uh, more than 11 in an area, they're not allowed to forest it. And so they went out there and if they get to 11, they stop counting because 11 is the cutoff. Even if they see more, like that was, it was proven that they 
doctored numbers so they could go and clear or they did this research we're going to see how logging like this what we're going to do is we're going to go to an area we're going to log every third tree and then we're going to burn down the rest and see how it affects the gliders it's going to kill the gliders they're going to be on fire well i don't understand the logic yeah and and to, to doctor it a bit and to appeal they stop calling them greater gliders they start calling them clumsy possums which makes them sound like a stupid species that doesn't need to be saved and Is that right? clumsy possum? clumsy possum. I'd never heard it. It's a it's a another common name for them. People call them clumsy possums because when they're walking around, they they're not very good at it. Oh. they jump and they climb and they glide and stuff like that. But when they're actually walking, they're a bit awkward. Yeah, okay. And yeah, they got called clumsy possums. Just one of those common names. Like I went and did a show out in Western Victoria, and I pulled out a shingleback, and someone said, "Oh, a hero lizard." I've never heard that one. I mean, what? <laughs> like, I know they've got about 30 common names, but I keep finding new ones all the time. And this one was, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a hero lizard. I said, why is it called a hero lizard? They because save they save of, of a lizard yeah, yeah. cars. <laughs> <laughs> it's more so that they, they sit in the middle of the of the tracky parts and uh, as the track bike's coming down, they don't get out of the way. <laughs> and, and people end up either swerving or mowing them and they go, yeah, well, they think they're tougher than the bike. They think they're a hero, so they call them hero lizards. It's like, oh, slow the bike down and don't kill the lizard. That's also an option. <laughs> It's funny you talked about that outrage of people saying, oh, we can't build the houses out of the middle. Why don't, you know, greeny wankers, that, 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 that pushback you get when you say anything about conservation. Um, I mean, I saw it recently. People were talking about single-use plastics and balloons and that kind of stuff. And we're mm. seeing a lot of footage and imagery now coming from you know, the marine environment where animals are eating plastic and you know, all that kind of baby turtles are eating plastic. They, they find them dead. and Yeah, yeah. And and people will be like, yeah, well, you want to stop balloons now? What do you? What do you? What do you hate kids? And just it's it's so strange. Yes. Yeah. There you go. There's your answer. Yes, we want to stop balloons. Um, it's anthropomorphic. It's people only thinking about their own species because they don't realise that they're part of the whole environment. And it's very short-sighted because who's to say that in twenty years, thirty years, places like where we are now, like the remnant bits of bush will be worth a fortune because people will appreciate later on down the track how, how important that is for our survival as part of the ecosystem for interest's sake because it's becoming a huge, massive thing. People love, like yourself, you keep skinks in a container. You love them. Mm. When, when has that ever been a thing? You know, I think people are realising, well, we've, you know, we've come a step back from the environment, let's get back into it, and that's why we have wildlife demonstrators and you know, people that, that keep reptiles. And well, that's it. It's about kind of, I think... One of the best things about what we do is that we get to go out and show people these species and tell them stories and get them. Some some of them are a little bit anthropomorphic. I used to have two thick-tailed geckos that would come out in the middle of the day if I was playing guitar. And they'd sit there and they'd stare at me while I was playing guitar, just transfixed. And when I stopped playing, they'd turn around and go back and hide. I had a Gippsland <laughs> water dragon. It's because they're trying to sleep. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I just pissed them off. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had a Gippsland water dragon that used to watch TV. He used to come out and he used to sit there with his head on the corner of the tank. And if I was watching an animal docker, if I was watching a croc hunter or a Nattenborough or anything like that, he'd watch the whole thing. The animals on the screen transfixed. If I was watching like How I Met Your Mother or something, he'd look at it and he'd go, uh, and he'd go back into his hide. Oh, that's hilarious you say that because Lorraine, who we just spoke to on the phone before, a uh, wildlife care friend of mine, she had one of my retired betongs, Itchy, and he used to sit on the bed there and watch Peppa Pig. And when it finished, he'd hop off. Yep. He liked Peppa Pig. You guys are off your head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can go one as well. I got to work one day 
and we were based in we we're based in a warehouse now and big outdoor area and stuff like that. But we were just in a house with a five car garage, which is where a lot of the animals were. And at the time, we were hand rearing a Tasmanian pad melon uh, or paddy melon, however you say it. Um, Pete, who we've still got, he's an adult now. But at the time, he wasn't even standing a foot tall. And he, I came in, I can hear the TV on. I thought it was a boss. I walk in there, the boss isn't home. I walk in, he's watching TV. I don't know who turned it on. He's watching the tennis. <laughs> And he turned and looked at me, scratched himself, and went back to look at the TV. I was like, I'm sorry. Have I disturbed you? (laughs) No one to this day knows whether he turned the TV on or whether some volley just came in and turned the TV on because he was in there. But he watching the tennis by himself. We have animals. I'm going to go t- volley. Turn the TV on. No, animals turn the TV on, but they hop on the remote. Yeah, I by accident. Th- I, I think they do it by accident. I know. He's saying it's done that and then sat in front of. He sat in front of yeah, <laughs> with the beer in his pouch. Yeah, <laughs> that was too far. I mean, I took it too yeah, far. No, I like the idea of it. Yeah. <laughs> like if mammals. they figure out that it's a cooler as well, <laughs> mammals don't drink beer. <laughs> Potteroos love wine. I'll put that out there. When we used to, um, at, at the old place, yeah, we, had a, we had a lounge outside and you'd, you'd just leave the door open. Potteroo we were raising would just run in and out and you'd look down, he'd, be, he'd have his head in your, in your <coughs> cup of wine. He'd love wine. Yeah, you had to be careful. Mm. Yeah. Imagine a drunk Potteroo. I oh, know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, now, you've got to catch a plane. You've got to catch a plane. Yeah. So we've, we've, I think I what we've got to... We've got probably, what, good 10 minutes, you reckon? I reckon, yeah. yeah. All right. Mate, what got you into um, caring about the environment, that kind of thing? Was Do you remember a point in your life where it happened? or? I've always been in love with with animals, with with especially with Australian. If it was Australian, I didn't care if it was a bug or a bird, anything. I was interested. And where I lived, I lived near a creek growing up in, in Bundura, a little suburb in the north of Melbourne, and I used to go down the creek and chase skinks and, and, and see the birds. And I'd, you know, discover, not really discover, but for myself, birds I'd never seen before. And all of a sudden, I, one day there was a, a big thing at my primary school when I was, was in primary school. And uh, what we think now is a grey goshawk killed an Indian miner in the middle of the footy oval. All right. And um, Good job. Yeah, well, that's it. And uh, kids all went mental. And but me, I was like, wait, what was it? I'm out there looking because kids are borrowing goosebumps and stuff like that from the the library, and I'm getting the field guide to the mammals of Australia. I'm <laughs> looking, and I'm going and getting the books. Like, what did it look like? This did it look like this? So, found a musk lorikeet under a tree at school that didn't have any feet. It had been raised in a in a nest with cotton or something. We think, and the feet it just had these two little pink stumps. And so I got to meet a wildlife carer when I dropped it off, and um, as she told me, no, she had a foster carer that was going to make two little hooks for it, little prosthetics because she had a, a musk lorikeet already and those little wooden cups with a hook on it for it to use because he'd hold onto the side of a cage and stick his stump through and then push himself up to the next little bit. Like he was keen and he was healthy, he just didn't have any feet. Mm-hmm. Or one of the other big turning or big moments for me was we did this science program where we'd go to La Trobe University, we got a big science, a big uh, wildlife reserve at the uni. And we went in there, oh, grade five maybe, and all of a sudden I hear this noise I've never heard before. And then all of a sudden, I'm hearing hundreds of them. I'm like, what the hell is that? And the guy looking at it, who I'd now known over the last few weeks, and he's like, oh, this is the kid that knows all the animal stuff. And he's like, you're about to see something really cool. And I reckon three to 400 uh, yellow-tailed black cockatoos uh-huh. came flying straight through the bush. There was this huge flock that had been moving up and down the area, up, it was up down the Yarra. They'd come down from the mountains because it was winter. And... Yeah, I'd heard one before. That's say, what that's yeah, reminded that's me of the story. Yeah. But they hung around the area for a while. 
And also these big birds, these amazing call, these deep wing beats um, would appear by the hundred just flying over the school oval or, or taking out the trees near my house and stuff like that. Now I still see, you know, over winter because they come, them and the king parrots and the gang gang cockies come down to my area over winter. Um, but I still hear that yellowtail black cockatoo call and I get really excited. There's a bird I've seen millions of times. I love them. Yeah. But I'm obsessed. Mm. It's just one of those moments. First time I saw a shingleback in the wild, first lizard I'd ever owned. Yeah. <laughs> like I still get excited by a shingleback. Some yeah. people go, who cares? Yeah. Mates of mine who are into animals are like, I don't understand your fascination with blue tongues. I'm like, I love blue tongues. Yeah. Blotches and shingles and all that kind of stuff. They're great animals. They, you know, they really interest me. I've got the, uh, the yellowtail cockatoos where I am. I'm back onto Sturt Gorge Reserve oh, wow, yeah. here in SA. And uh, yeah, there's times where it seems like hundreds of them are just all around my house and coming up from the gorge up towards my house. And there's so many times that I've gone out there with a camera to get a picture of as many as I can. And then they get to about 100 metres of my house and just go round it. And I can never get a picture of them. Yeah. So I'm starting to hate them. Yeah, oh, they're tricky. <laughs> well, we had, we had a moment, we nearly had a run in. Um, before I worked at Reptile Encounters, I worked at another company with Birds of Prey. And we did, uh, I was involved in a study at the MCG where we would take a wedge-tailed eagle up on top of either side of the G, stand on the roof, um, and fly the eagles to and from the end if the seagulls started to go in to lift them back out because they were having issues. They were blocking the advertising. They were, they were hitting, people were kicking footies into them. <laughs> like, it was an issue. And there was a, a bit of an issue with the Department of Environment. They didn't really want us using raptors as pest control. We're like, well, they're tethered they're they're on safety lines this is falconry in action here like they they're, we're not going to let them kill a seagull we're going to throw the food back and forth they're going to jump between us and the roof um you know never more than about four meters and cat, grab their little bit of chicken and that movement is going to scare the seagulls back up and we started doing that and along yarra bend uh, park there along the river there right near the the mcg i could hear the yellowtails and I'm looking down and I can see them and they're jumping through the trees and the palms and even along the ledges of the buildings and they're just chewing. It's a group of about 40 or 50 of them. And I'm like, yeah, I've heard about them coming into the city like this. This is pretty cool. It was an evening game. So it got to dusk and all of a sudden they start screaming and they all kick up and they start circling and they come straight towards us. And I'm looking at my boss going, we're here for the seagulls. What happens if a 50-odd yellow-tailed black cockatoos decide to take a dip into the MCG? And he's standing there looking at him going, I have no idea. And at the last second, they hung a left and headed up the river. And we just went, oh, my God. <laughs> that nearly went in a really interesting direction. But even on the way, he driving yesterday in western victoria i saw something flying next to the car and i'd seen heaps of black kites and heaps of swamp harries and stuff and you know along the highway and uh, lots of brown falcons and whistling kites and i see something flying and i've kind of looked across at it because i was driving and i've looked across at it again and i'm like that's a parrot and i'm looking at it i'm like i think that's a yellowtail black and then as i've gone past it i've gone why is it by itself that looked a bit small. So now I'm basically trying to turn around and look out the back window past all the music because I think I saw a southeastern red-tailed black cockatoo because I was past Caniva. And there's 1,200 of them in the water. I'm like, it was probably a yellowtail, but I wonder <laughs> if I just saw what I think I just saw. And that's just one of those little moments. Like, oh, no, I have no idea. I can't go back there and ask all the birds who was flying through on the day. But, like, <laughs> uh, it's just something that's going to interest me now because I know I was in the right area for them. I was past Caniva, I was towards the border, and the second you get into Caniva there, like they've got pictures of the red tails and information in the cafes and stuff about these 
these parrots because the, the locals know about them and they're quite proud. Mm. That's why that information stuff is so important. You wonder how many people that, you know, like a bit of bushwalking but they're not necessarily into ID of animals see endangered once-in-a-lifetime animals and just go, oh, look, we saw a bird. Mm. Yeah, yeah they, I wonder that too. They go out and they bushwalk and you've seen them walk past a massive lizard sitting on a log or something like that. They've got no idea it's there. And so you've, you're not paying attention or you just don't... I always wonder, like, because I, I just look out a window and I'm looking at a bird or something because I just notice... I'm like, how do people not notice this stuff? <laughs> it's true. I mean, I know adult people that have never seen a wild koala here in Adelaide, and they're everywhere. You drive in the hills, and every it feels like every twentieth tree's got a koala. Yeah. There are people that have never seen a koala, a wild koala, yeah. or even there are people who live in Adelaide who have. And I know them. Nice people. Sorry if you're listening. <laughs> never seen a wild possum. Name Have you, have you name ever? Name. All right, I will name and shame. All right, let's do it. <laughs> Hand me that list. No. <laughs> that go outside with the torch, hold the torch by your eyes, and look in a tree. Maybe they've never wanted to see a possum. Probably, yeah. Mm. But it's addictive, isn't it? When you start seeing things, you have a field guide, and it, and you see, you, you know, the things you have seen, and it's like, well, look at the things that I haven't seen. Mm. So half the time, I bet, Dan, when you see something new, you already know what it is. Because you know you haven't seen it, it's it's the, yeah. one of the ones you haven't seen. Like that's exciting, and yeah, definitely. First time I saw a wild tree skink. The first time I saw a wild zangoanna. The first time I saw a wild lacy. These are well, lacies are threatened in Victoria, but the others they're not uncommon species. But the first day I saw a wild tree skink, I'd also seen my 150th wild tree skink because it was the right day. See them fighting on the rocks. See them with the young hanging out and stuff like that. Very common animal. I've kept them at home for probably five six years now. But seeing them just excited me. This animal that I know very well, but seeing them in the wild and that kind of thing, yeah. Knowing that there, and there was bushwalkers walking past us. I'm like, you're walking past hundreds of lizards that are having these battles for territory and with them, because they're an agurnia, like the family kind of hangs around a bit and there's babies sitting with mum and dad and all this kind of thing. You're walking straight past it. That's a shame. Mm. Yeah, I agree. One thing I have thought about is um, we talked about it, Steve and I talked about it once. We take animals into schools. Wouldn't it be great if you could take um, kids out into the bush and do bushwalks with them and try to get some of that uh, information to the kids? And I think Steve's idea was to... Even the parents, grab the parents and take them out so the parents can take their kids out into the bush and give them a bit of knowledge as well. Yeah. And, the, and the teachers. Yeah, um, and teachers. Yeah, well, the, mm. the, the one thing I've noticed doing demonstrator stuff, doing shows and that, though, is that you bring when the parents are there, the kids change. Like, I can look at a kid and go, I know right now that if your folks weren't here, you'd be patting every animal I've got. And because they're here, they go science looking up. But, Mum, I don't want to do it. Mum goes, I oh, know you don't have to touch it. Mm. I've, I don't know if you've had this before where you've had a, um, a teacher go, right, so, you know, uh, James over here's mum said that he's not allowed to touch the snakes. Yeah, I've seen that, yeah. And you're like, well, the kid wants... And then here's the thing. I walk past him. I go, sorry, mate, your mum said you're not allowed to pat this. And I've just introduced them and talked about Victorian carpet pythons for the last five minutes. And I've got this beautiful little freshly shed Victorian carpet who's coming and looking at the kids' faces really closely. And the kids are going, wow, this is a snake, but but it's, it doesn't want to kill me and everybody I know, like they've been told. And I've gone, sorry, your mum's scared of snakes. And so even though she's not here, you're not allowed to touch it. <laughs> and it ruins That's it right. a bit. Mm. Yes, I like the way you worded that. Your <laughs> mum's scared of snakes. I've had kids say, um, I'm allergic to snakes. Because obviously their mum told them that too. Yeah. You're not. Well, you get high school kids that just don't want to touch it. I had a kid the other day go, I'm allergic. I said, to what? And he goes, oh, to whatever animal you got in that box. Whoa. I said, you no idea what's in there. Seriously? <laughs> I, I wish I was allergic to snakes. 
My life would be so much. <laughs> There'd be a lot of a lot more money around. Yeah, lots more money, yeah. lots more time on my hands, for sure. Um, mm. Mate, Dan, thanks so much. Mate. We could talk for another hour. Um, awesome I know you've got to passion. catch a plane. Yeah, thank you. And I appreciate that the rest of the band have already gone and you stayed back just to come on the show. Yeah, oh, believe me, I'm more than happy to not spend seven and a half hours in a car with them again. <laughs> We're halfway through the tour. I've seen the things, I've smelt the smells, I know what the experience of the van is like. <laughs> One little plane drive, a trip's totally fine. And thanks for having me. This has been really awesome. Thanks for the tour. That's awesome. Mate, it's really cool. Yeah, thank you, Dan. And we'll, we'll see you again, mate, I'm sure. And guys, thank you for listening.